Okay, we are live uh, on Facebook and on all Warrior Women in Business channels. So um, I'm very excited today. I'm excited, but I'm also saddened by what we're going to talk about. But we are bringing to light a very, very important issue uh, this afternoon on Warrior Women in Business, episode number 23. We're going to be talking about the unfortunate surge of suicide cases uh, pertaining to COVID. And we're going to talk about uh, what's to blame, what's happening. And, and I have some amazing guests on. They're going to talk about their journeys. They're going to be talking about support that's available for anyone that you may know that's going through um, isolation, going through problems with um, money and, and the economy. Um, and so, you know, I wanted to kick this off by just, um, you know, thanking everybody for coming today and, and listening to us. And I want to thank our panelists, which I'm going to introduce shortly. So before we get started, my name is Jasmine Sandler. For those of you who don't know me, I own a company called JS Media here in New York. We're 14 years old and our mission is to help women in business thrive and grow and also help women in the homes. Uh, Warrior Women in Business is a member organization that takes place in the form of this podcast, as well as events. Um, and anybody that's been to one of our events knows that a big, big part of our events is to help women um, that are struggling. So we, we do a lot to raise money and raise awareness for women's and charities that affect women and children, um, besides doing all the things that we do to support uh, women in business. So um, I, again, I wanted to kick off episode 23 by just kind of introducing you know, the panel and talking a little bit about, you know, the, the urgency of this. Um, before I get into who the panelists are, uh, if you missed our last episode, episode 22, we we're very lucky to have um, a spokesperson from the New York City Mayor's Office to end uh, domestic and gender-based violence, an issue that I am personally very, very interested in solving for many issues. And we had a, a wonderful episode with lots of resources and information, and I think we'll have the same today. So um, I want to start by introducing who our panelists will be today. We have, uh, again, from the New York City Mayor's Office, who's been so generous to support me in my mission to help women in New York City. We have uh, Janice Chisholm, and hopefully I'm saying the name right, obviously. Most people I've, I'm connecting with for the first time, so they will, um, I'm, generally the titles and names they will fix. But um, Janice is a Bureau Director of the Division of Mental Hygiene, it's um, for any of you that want to get in touch with them, it's NYCDOHMH is the acronym. Um, and she has served in responsible positions at the New York City Department of Health and Hygiene for close to 20 years. And I really wanted to have someone from the city on, um, and we do have also our counterpart in, and folks in Canada on today, but um, I wanted to have somebody here at home on who knows what's going on on the front lines who knows, who really understands um, how people can get support. So I really wanna thank Janice for taking the time out to be on today. Uh, we have Jen Houston from Canada on, and she, is, um, she reached out to me on LinkedIn. The woman is amazing. She's a founder of Canadian Women Healing Our World. And anybody that knows me, I'm a big fan of Canada. I run the Hockey Players in Business New York City, and we constantly take trips up there. And she's doing really great things. Um, her mission is to provide opportunities for personal growth and healing to women. And as we talk about in Warrior Women in Business, a woman can't succeed in business until she is whole internally as well. It's not just about doing business deals. So 
Thank you, Jen, for being on, and we're excited to hear from you today. Uh, we have Deborah Max, who's been, she was uh, my personal guest for episode 14, um, where we talked about sexual abuse. She also was a speaker at my December 9th Warrior Women in Business event to support, um, raise monies and awareness around domestic violence. So Deborah Max is um, an advocate author. Her, her uh, title and her name, which she'll get into, is the Thorazine Goddess. She's very cool. And she does a lot to help um, people in, in, she helps people primarily that are coming into the hospital where she works um, to help them through mental health issues. And she's been doing that for close to 20 years. So thank you, Deborah, also for being on. So I'm gonna take everybody off of mute now. <laughs> and I wanna jump right into the questions. Um, and I'm gonna go kind of in the order that I started as well. Any of, any of you uh, panelists, if you wanna expand a little bit on who you are in your answers, please feel free to do so. So my number one question to you is, you know, humans are social in nature. This is, you know, goes back to the beginning of time. And um, so I wanna know, uh, starting with Janice, you know, what do you think is the effect on social distancing isolation to suicidal thoughts, tendencies? And is there any stats or experience you can share in the correlation between social distancing, isolation, and the surge of suicide? So I'll start with you, Janice. Thanks so much for your question, Jasmine. And first, I want to thank you for the invitation. And to clarify, I'm joining you from the City Department of Health and Mental Hygiene. And I think it may be that the mayor's office um, connected us. Um, yes. And so the City Department of Health and Mental Hygiene is very happy to be a part of this conversation. Um, to your question, Jasmine, my first thoughts are um, words are powerful. And, you know, perhaps instead of using social distancing, we want to consider saying physical distancing. That way we won't reinforce the idea that physically being separated from friends, family, and others translates to social disconnections. So I think if we start there and sort of setting the tone for, you know, putting it out in a way that um, itself doesn't become a part of the issue. Um, that said, uh, COVID-19 pandemic can affect you and your loved one's mental and emotional well-being. And it's natural to feel overwhelmed, sad, anxious, and afraid. Um, this is a big deal for all of us. Physical mm -hmm. distancing can feel isolating, you know, um, and that can feel isolating for anyone and everyone. It can be harder for people who struggle with thoughts of suicide. Um, many people are also experiencing financial distress, loss of friends and family due to COVID and other significant stressors that can affect mental and emotional well-being. I think the, the message that I'm sure my colleagues would share with you and with all of those listening to us is that it's important to keep connected and to reach out. Staying connected with family, friends, and social networks um, using the variety of communications uh, available, you know, email, social media, video conference, telephone, FaceTime, Skype. Um, I'm sure I'm not naming everything. Um, but really, even as simply as calling a neighbor or an older adult, people who live alone that you know, to see how they're doing, to show you care, that can be reinforcing for both of you. You know, reaching out to others can benefit the individual who's doing the reaching out as much as it benefits the person who's being reached out to. 
So I think if we were, if we were to sort of change the scenario a little and, and be careful of the words that we use, and instead of saying social, maybe physical distancing, and then reinforcing um, the need to stay connected and to reach out. Yeah, no, I, I really love that you say that because <clears throat> the whole term of social, social networking, being social, and when you, you say social distancing, it does, it does have this strange connotation that you need to stay away from people. And um, I think I love what you said because it is about being connected that gives us comfort in a very unstable time, right? So I, I echo uh, your words. Um, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna go right to Jen. So Jen, what do you have to say on this subject? Um, well, I know by nature, and it's proven that we are biologically wired to want to connect. So um, I think we're all experiencing that for sure. But um, I guess, depending on our emotional intelligence and how we're coming to um, this whole pandemic and this crisis with, um, we'll be really dependent on our response to it. Um, I read an article um, in Psychology Today by Glenn Sullivan. It was written on March 22nd of this year. And he really pointed to the idea that, um, yes, absolutely um, social, this isolation, um, but one in three people that um, follow through with su suicide are actually also unemployed. So, um, and if we compare what's going on now to the 1929 market, uh, you know, stock market crash, um, where there was a 50% increase um, in, according to this, this article and this uh, PhD, Glenn Sullivan, um, I, I just, I can't even imagine um, how people are really um, managing right now. I, I just, I can sense it, I feel it. And, um, you know, and I think all of the things that uh, Janice mentioned are absolutely critical, staying connected and um, making sure that you check in with people that you know are, are actually isolated and alone at home as well. Yeah, no, and, it, and you're right. I mean, we're gonna get into that. I'm so happy you brought that up and we're gonna get into that today, the, the effect of economic loss. Um, it's something that I've seen that, uh, you know, because, you know, my company serves business owners, <laughs> but business owners are people too. And, you know, that's, it's a whole, struggling with the economic loss is, is something that's very hard for people to deal with um, on, on a mental and emotional issue. So getting into that, Deborah, I know that you're, you know, you're on the lines, you're in the hospital, you're working with people. Can you talk a little bit about what you've seen, uh, if anything, experience around, you know, this whole term about this whole thing about people being isolated? Um, how has that affected some of your patients or people that you've seen? Well, I, there, I think there's a couple of things, and I was planning. I'm sure I'll touch on it later as well. But we also have to look at the lack of physical touch is is huge. Um, just as much as we're social creatures, we do need human touch, and that's missing for a lot of us right now. I also think a big issue, and this kind of contributes to increased suicide risk, is this uh, certain identity confusion that people are experiencing now. Most of us identify in a great large part with our jobs. And for those that are not allowed to present at work or have to work from home or can't work at all and they were laid off, well, there goes a large part of their identity. And that identity confusion is big and can certainly contribute to feelings of hopelessness, helplessness, and suicide. But I think the most dangerous thing about uh, you know, the uh, current state of, I don't want to distancing, um, is because of our lack of contact, 
um, it kind of increases this very surreal feeling. And I think that level of surrealism is very, very dangerous for someone who's contemplating suicide. If they're kind of in this, I don't know, kind of like in the in-between and not feeling that things are real, they can be at very, very significant risk to attempt or complete suicide. So it can be very dangerous. So there's that disconnect. There's the identity and role confusion um, and just the surreal nature of today's world. Mm. So, you know, that, I have a, a question that might be for you and, and the other panelists is that feeling of reality, right? So you're talking about, correct me if I'm wrong, being grounded in something, right? So what have you seen in your work that helps maybe people feel more grounded in this time? It's tough. I mean, I think it's wonderful. I mean, I mean, I can only imagine what we'd be looking at right now if this pandemic occurred 20 years ago and we mm -hmm. didn't have the technology to stay, you know, somewhat connected. Um, mm -hmm. So that definitely helps things. Um, but I also think there are certain skills that folks, um, you know, and, and I'm a survivor as well. Um, there are certain skills that we have learned were almost in some ways better suited to deal with these types of crises than the general public who may not have struggled with mental health issues or abuse issues or substance abuse recovery issues. So as far as things that help, there are some very concrete things that people can do. Um, the key thing to focus on, you know, in a Reader's Digest version is try to focus on the, the things that you can control in this environment where we have so little. Yeah. yeah. I love that point. Okay, um, next question. You know, each of you, and I'm gonna start with Janice. Um, each of you represents supporting a different type of, you know, group that you serve, right? So, from the general public, right, uh, Janice, to you know, specifically women, Jen and Deborah. You know, the the people that you're dealing with in the hospital situation. So, you know, they have everyone has different issues that they're coming to the table with. Like, you know, suicide is so broad. It can be a young person, right? Traditionally, that's been an issue. It can be certainly, I think now, um, like you were talking about, Deborah, this loss of identity, certainly um, something that we do talk about at Warrior Women is we definitely talk about men and we talk about relationships. And I think men losing their jobs and having that loss of identity and their time that into their happiness, you know, it definitely seems to be an issue. Um, so I just want each of you, starting with um, Janice, to talk about your specific Talk about your specific organization or service, who, just so the audience understands who it helps and how in terms of mental health and suicide prevention support. Sure, thanks Jasmine. So um, the New York City Department of Health and Mental Hygiene focuses on health concerns for all New Yorkers. Um, this is both mental and all kinds of health. And so the, the Division of Mental Hygiene um, focuses on SMI, um, developmental disabilities, substance use, justice-impacted populations, et cetera. And for this, uh, the response to the pandemic, uh, we are a part of a structure that is really responsible for uh, resourcing and responding. So the Mental Health Emergency Resource Group is responsible for making sure that uh, behavioral health needs of New Yorkers are, are considered, 
um, during this pandemic and that we anticipate and plan for behavioral health needs post-pandemic. So we're looking at kind of what, what are, what's emerging as well as planning for um, long-term. Um, we're sharing reliable information and resources on a regular basis. We collaborate with behavioral health partners across the city. Um, and we're, you know, aimed at strengthening existing resources so that they're responsive to the current needs, which some of which are different from, um, you know, during uh, non-pandemic times. Um, and, you know, mostly what we're trying to do around mental health is to promote coping and resiliency for all New Yorkers. Mm. Mm -hmm. Okay. So um, can you just kind of visualize a little bit how, just briefly, um, what that looks like in terms of from both a proactive and reactive standpoint? So in other words, somebody reaches out to you, your organization, what does that look like versus, you know, you're spreading the message and helping folks? Just so people here can kind of understand um, a little bit about, you know, what they, what they can expect. Sure. So um, largely the Department of Health and Mental Hygiene contracts with a variety of community-based organizations and others to deliver direct services, whether it's mental health or other types of services. Um, so we ourselves at the department are not necessarily, um, you know, the, the providers of care, though we do have some services that are provided directly from the department. Um, AOT and, and various others. But um, in terms of messaging, um, as I said, we're emphasizing um, coping and emotional well being. We have a web page um, on the DOHMH uh, website that mm -hmm. is available uh, to all, to anyone who wants to um, get a variety of resources. Right now, for example, we have a few uh, documents. COVID-19, staying connected with friends and family. Uh, is it anxiety, a panic attack, or COVID-19? Mm. Coping with stress during infectious disease outbreaks, grief and loss during COVID-19 outbreak, et cetera. So there are a number of resources that we push out on a fairly regular basis to try to make sure that the public is informed, has access to a variety of resources, and is aware of Sometimes that, that that might just be anxiety. It, it may not actually be COVID nineteen. You know, I mean, th these are yeah, things yeah. that um, you know. So so mm -hmm. I would point folks to our website, uh, and I, I will speak a little bit more about that a little later because I think you asked a question that that also points to it. But that's really kind of the work of the department is trying to both stay in contact with the various direct deliverers of service to assess what's going on right now, how do we need to change services so that they properly address the current needs, and also ourselves pushing out materials both to provide guidance to those uh, behavioral health providers as well as to attend to some of the questions that the public may have. Okay, that's great. I think I, I like the fact, I mean, that you're, there's a sense of control, and I, I, I think that the, the public needs to understand that in terms of there are resources out there and people don't need to feel so alone. Uh, and I think I like there that are, you talked about the resilience and coping. Um, yeah. it, 
It's hugely important. Sorry, you were going to say something? No, no, no. I'm just agreeing with you. Yes, that's, that's what we're trying to promote. Uh, and, and also just to, to let folks know that really there's a place to call. For example, our New York City Well line, um, one can call, text, or chat. And we have noticed that there's been quite an increase in volume since uh, the pandemic. And that, that's a good sign, we think, because folks are outreaching to get information and to get help and to ask questions. Uh, we, we, we take that as a good indicator. Mm -hmm. Yeah, agreed. Okay, so um, I'm gonna move on to Jen. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, just summarize your organization, who you help um, around, either around mental health or suicide or specifically what you do? Hey, thanks, Jasmine. Yeah, so I work uh, in two sort of capacities. Um, as Jen Houston, I, I take on clients, women that um, come to me with a lot of trauma and um, need uh, support getting through um, and toward moving toward healing. So I use all sorts of um, different techniques. I am NLP trained. I um, also use art therapy, talk therapy, role playing. We do all sorts of things and we really get to the core of the trauma, this emotional pain that people are carrying with them. And um, it's, you know, it's a process, it takes time. Um, and, and then on the other side, um, my work um, around social uh, equity with women that um, are in sort of the system that um, are sometimes in homes, they're escaping domestic violence, they have attempted or um, a suicide. Um, and I'm working through the Canadian Mental Health Association, kind of like what Janice said, I'd be someone they might reach out to, to provide a program to specific women. And um, so those are my two sort of capacities. Um, I guess my work really um, is really about getting to the core of the trauma and um, uh, you know, I'm not a doctor. I don't treat things clinically, but I really think um, of, you know, connecting, reconnecting your mind, body, and spirit, and really um, asking people to do some really deep emotional work on what it is they're carrying around with them that is taking them to the places where they feel like their life isn't worth living. A lot of times it's around their core beliefs and what they believe about themselves, the stories they've told themselves, the programming they've had in their life, and that it's really um, working with them individually and it's you know it's called my soul the soul journey that's the name of my program because everyone's story is their story and um, so that's a little bit about the work i do um, i have had women come to me from all different entry points from off the street to um, you know working top seven figure executives so i've worked with all sorts and you know people do have trauma it doesn't really matter your financial status in all circumstances when you're feeling this way. Um, you can have every financial, you know, all of those things in the world and still not feel complete and happy. So in my program, I really help women in particular to come to those, um, those places of healing in all sorts of ways and, um, and really discover meaning and purpose in their life. Oh, that's really, really wonderful. It really is. And, um, you know, I, I applaud you and I also understand that I like what you're talking about in terms of there's no economic, <laughs> you know, it's not siloed economically. You can be well off and still feel empty and isolated, which is what we're talking about today. Mm -hmm. 
or you could ha be struggling with money. And I don't think that it's the issue. And I think it talked a little bit about what Janice talked about, which is understanding coping mechanisms and resilience. And that has to do with the internal. So um, thank you for sharing that, Jen. Yes. Um, so I'm going to move on to Deborah. Can you talk a little bit about what you do, you know, day to day? Sure, um, sure. <laughs> so on a, on a, in, during normal times, um, I assess patients in the emergency room. Um, I would say a large, a large majority of the patients that I do assess are not self-referred. Um, they're brought in either by local police or EMS. Um, sometimes they don't want to even be there and that's okay. Um, I do assess a lot of patients who are struggling with, you know, histories of sexual trauma, physical trauma, domestic violence, um, suicidal thoughts, actions, self-injury. Um, basically, I deal almost exclusively with acute psychiatric crises. Um, so it's, 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 it's constantly changing um, day to day. Um, but what I'm seeing now, uh, and again, this is kind of, I know it's different in different states and cities, but um, normally if a patient came to the emergency room was expressing thoughts of wanting to harm themselves, I obviously would recommend psychiatric admission for their safety. That's really not an option so much, at least in the state of New Jersey. Um, I know right now, and I don't want to mis misspeak or be misquoted, but I know a lot of uh, units are being shut down to accommodate COVID-19 positive patients. At my hospital, we had shut down both our psychiatric unit and our detox unit um, to make room for the COVID patients. In fact, my hospital was to be designated as a COVID-only facility. Um, so what does this mean for the patients that I work with? Well, uh, quite frankly, they're not given the same priority in the emergency room. Someone who's having um, a psychiatric crisis, what they're gonna try to do is kind of like a Band-Aid solution, uh, tape you up, maybe give you a little something to calm you down and send you on your way. There isn't the time, the resources to do assessments. Um, psych emergency services, um, like my own department, we're now no longer based at the hospital, um, again, because the priority is being given to the COVID-19 patients. Um, so it's definitely impacting the work that we do. Um, there just isn't physical room for patients that are requiring inpatient level care. Um, which is really, really a scary thing. Um, so right now I feel more or less ineffectual with regards to what services I could provide in the hospital setting. I'm very, very grateful that that's not the only hat that I wear. Um, I am a DBT skills trainer. Um, DBT is a cognitive behavioral therapy model that has been proven, it, it, it's a best practice or identified as a best practice for among other populations, people that are struggling with active suicidal thoughts and self-injury. So mm -hmm. the timeliness is wonderful. Um, I'm very excited to start my next training in two weeks. Um, again, my first one via Zoom, but I'll get to that later. But the interesting thing about DBT is it really is a wonderful modality for dealing with a lot of the stuff that folks are struggling with now. So we're looking at different things. We have emotion regulation skills training, distress tolerance, things you can do, concrete skills that you can utilize when you're feeling that acute crisis, you're feeling that anxiety. 
Um, there are also interpersonal effectiveness skills, which are just as important. When you're in a house, some people are now having to live with their parents or family of origin, and that may not make for good times. Um, so working on our interpersonal effectiveness when we're in closed quarters, I think is very, very important. Oh, gosh, yes. And for those of those of us or the audience that doesn't know what DBT, can you just describe DBT, what it stands for? Oh, sure, sure. Yeah. Um, dialectical Behavioral Therapy, it was designed by Marsha Lenahan. It became popularized in the late 1980s, I believe. I'm saying like 89. Um, and it's, it's a cognitive therapy model. So as opposed to traditional psychoanalysis, we're really not looking at much as the precursors to the situations and circumstances you might be de dealing with. It's more of a given. You had stuff happen to you. Okay, now you're here. What are we going to do to try to make the situation better with very, very concrete skills? Okay, thank you very much. Um, so that actually leads kind of to my next question. I'm going to start with Janice. You know, um, I've just been reading so much about this issue, done a lot of work around domestic violence. And so, you know, it's like these two things have become, you know, a, a real problem. And in the last few weeks, I've been reading, um, you know, about these increases in kind of what's going on, um, not just in the United States, but as we can see here, we have Jen in Canada. We, you know, this is a global issue. So um, I know, Deborah, you talked about the fact, what's interesting that you talked about is the fact that, and I know this because most of my friends are nurses, um, they're treating COVID patients in hotels. They're blocking off different nursing homes for COVID. They're moving people around. You know, it's, it's such a crazy time and a lot of the patients that you were talking about, Deborah, can get lost in this movement. And we don't want that to happen. So I want to start with Janice and just ask, um, what are you seeing in terms of like what has helped with the current problem? Anything tactically, physically that you've seen that's been helping people amidst the chaos of the movement of hospitals around the fact that doctors are now maybe taking on multiple patients? Anything? Um, Janice, in, in what this, the city is doing that you might be able to talk about? Well, I mean, you're right that there's a lot of movement going on. And as we, you know, it's kind of like I try to think about my executive deputy commissioner said, you know, we're, we're building the plane while we're flying it. So a lot is happening. And, you know, day to day, we're moving and trying to figure out what is the next best step for so many different pieces of this puzzle, because there are lots and lots of moving parts. I mean, I, I can tell you with regards to the subject matter, you know, in terms of suicide right now, it's really too soon for us to be able to say that there are changes in the rate or the number of suicides in New York City in particular. Um, just looking back at what we know as of April 18, we haven't seen an increase in emergency room visits for suicide-related concerns, and that's across all ages in the city um, since the, the outbreak of COVID. So um, what we have seen, and, and I mentioned this earlier, is that there's been a surge in the number of calls to our New York City well line. Um, that's both in terms of calls, texts, and the chat volume. Uh, since the start of the outbreak, we've seen increases, and we think that that's because we've been promoting New York City Well for people in 
a variety of uh, communications, um, both about COVID and about what's available. And we also think it may be due to the stress and anxiety that, that a lot of folks are experiencing. I mean, I think we're all experiencing stress and anxiety in various levels um, related to feeling in a di- we're in a different place, you know. So yeah. the department is really trying to reach out and provide good information about what is the current status of things and also about the fact that support is out there. I was listening to uh, my colleagues, uh, Jen and Deborah, and thinking, yes, you know, one of the things we want to make sure is that the message is out there that it's, it's normal to feel stressed right now. It's a stressful event upon us. I, I, I think it was Deborah who said surreal. It's surreal for all of us. Mm-hmm. Some of this, I, I, I can tell you how many times we comment as we, because we try to, at my family, we try to walk every day and we're saying, wow, this yeah. looks like a movie. It looks like a movie and it yeah. feels a little bit like a movie. And so one of the things we want to make sure that there's a message that folks understand it's stressful. It is different. Uh, and what we want to think about is really how we can manage some of our feelings of sadness and anxiety and fear, the trouble sleeping that some of us are experiencing, difficulty concentrating, and the variety of symptoms. We want to think about how to manage these so that we can cope with this strange and different place that we're all in together. And again, I can't emphasize enough that staying connected is something that we keep reiterating. Stay connected because one of the things that happens is we might think I'm the only one who's thinking this way. And and guess what? No, you're not. And there is help available. So let us think about how we can promote and really make sure that in all those far corners and those nooks and crannies of, of the city and across the world, we really understand about what help, what resources are out there here in New York City we do have resources, and we just want to make sure that the message is out there loud and clear and that we normalize this, this feeling of anxiety and stress that so many of us are experiencing and also reinforce that there are ways that we can speak through coping so that uh, we don't become overwhelmed by it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I like the fact that you talked about the going for walks and thinking it's surreal Walks are the key. <laughs> um, in my in my own experience, you know, uh, and t- to Deborah's point, a lot of people are being forced to live in places that they're not accustomed to living in, um, in close quarters. You know, like I said, a lot of patients are in hotels. It's also strange. So that the, you know, just the, um, when the mayor, I mean, not the mayor, I'm sorry, the governor said, you know, a few weeks ago, you know, just take a walk down the street, use the street because there's not a lot of cars. It gave us a sense of calmness, a sense of, well, we can go out. And I think um, something for me personally, um, and I don't know if we want to talk about this, is a lot of people, I was there at 9-11 and I witnessed the whole thing and we, we overcame that. So I feel that um, something that people also need to remember is that we can overcome things instead of you know, I feel that uh, a lot of, I don't know what you all think of this, but a lot of the anxiety that you were talking about 
also comes from the watching all the negative news. <laughs> and um, I'd like to understand maybe what you all think about people taking a different route in what they consume from the media and the conversations that they have, because um, I, I do think that, that that attributes to a, a negative way of thinking and feeling. I, I don't know what you, I'd like to stick with you, um, Janice, on, on what you think about that. Well, I am glad you actually brought that up because one of the things we think is helpful is limiting screen time and media exposure. It's important to stay on top of what's going on and, and to have a, you know, a, a reliable source of information come to the DOHMH website. You'll get that. But that reliable source of information should give you kind of what the facts are without doom and glooming. So sometimes that overexposure of just sitting news program after news program after news program can, can help to create the, that feeling of overwhelmedness. So we suggest limiting screen time, uh, you know, sort of putting a, a, a certain amount of media exposure in your day, but not overdoing it two or three times a day. You've got it. That's enough. Yeah. You woke up, you know what's going on. You're going to bed, you know what's going on. You really don't need to be sitting there all day long, program after program. So limiting that, that, that exposure can sometimes help to be a part of that management process of, of the, the symptoms that, that this strange environment might bring to, to fore. Thank you. Uh, Jen, I'd like to hear from you um, in that you work directly with patients that go through trauma, you know, and mm -hmm. certainly this is a time where I think a lot of people are, people are just feeling it, whether they, they come from a history of trauma or this is something new to them. What are some coping skills that you teach that, you, that might be helpful in this situation, do you believe? Well, I think definitely spending some time with yourself and 100% uh, I, I would echo what Janice just said. Um, I really think it's important to, um, to keep a, a schedule and a routine. And, um, you know, even though we're at home, I think, um, you know, around even sleep times so with sleep hygiene, um, setting a time when you get up and maybe it's not as early as your normal work day if you are not working and you're at home, but setting a routine and, and blocking some time off that's just for you. Um, if you have an exercise routine, fantastic. If you don't, even just some simple movement, moving your body is a way to release stress. So if you like to dance, get up and dance. If you can just even move your arms around, move your body. Um, if you're not going, I, I really recommend getting out for a walk, like you said, Jasmine, um, and um, getting back to your breath. Uh, breath work is so important. Um, often when we're stressed out, we really shallow breathe. We forget that our breath is our life force. And um, doing simply when we feel that overwhelm coming on some, you know, I, I always say in for, in for um, eight, hold for four and out for seven. So, and doing that a few times just can really release a lot of um, uh, sort of those stress hormones, the things that build up in our bodies. Those are really simple, inexpensive things we all can do. And I really think developing um, a schedule that you stick to and that you, um, it, it will, it is something you can control. You can control what you do with your 8,000 or 86,400 seconds every day. That's wow. the time you have every day. So with that time, uh, you know, put in some time for light exercise, even if it's a walk, um, some stretching, 
Um, put in some time for hygiene and taking care of yourself, making sure you're cleaning yourself, brushing your teeth. Those are things that feed our sense of wellness. And they're really simple. And I think for some of us, it's getting back to those basics. And, you know, because I, I know I've heard from some clients um, that they have saw their old archetypes come back, especially around addiction uh, at this time. Yeah. They're, they're really, and these are people that have been clean and sober for a very long time. And mm -hmm. they, they're um, in particular, uh, you know, just really, um, you know, their husband's not working, the financial stuff has come up and they feel like they want to drink or they want to use whatever it is their addiction is. Maybe it's food that's their addiction. So keeping yourself and your time occupied with things that are going to serve your best care and compassion um, and, and coming up with a, t a table, you know, just like a work schedule, you have an at-home schedule. I've been doing some spring cleaning and doing finding some projects around the house that occupy my time that I feel good about, um, that makes me feel like I've accomplished something and they keep my mind occupied. So there's a few things that um, I've been um, offering up to my clients um, in really simple ways um, to the general public. Everyone can enact these things in their, in their, in their life. Thank you. I, um, I fully agree about the uh, multiple things, but I love that you talked about the schedule because I think that that causes such disarray and chaos when all of a sudden someone that's very structured is presented with zero structure. It seems that they could go down bad spirals. Mm -hmm. So I, I hope that everyone is listening to that because I really do think that could be a savior. Uh, Deborah, what, what, what coping mechanisms, what advice do you have around that? You, you have such an amazing panel here, Jasmine, because <laughs> these <laughs> ladies, they, they beat me to the punch. Um, a lot of these very, very basic things that we could do yeah. to really help ourselves, you know, it's just wonderful. So I just want to take, take the opportunity just to, because I, I can't help myself. I have a DOH rep on the call. I have to just throw some questions out there or just share some information. Um, I think access right now is an issue. Again, there's a great difference between the different states we live in, the countries we live in, um, and even city to city, what's available. But I really think access at this point is really, really been impacted. Um, people are people that are reliant upon going to outpatient mental health services be it a five-day-a-week program or even outpatient counseling are finding that they they can't go um telepsych as wonderful as it is in theory has a lot of problems associated with it as a clinician it's very very difficult to assess someone while you're wearing a mask and they're wearing a mask uh, via an ipad a lot of what we base our assessments on are assessing affect. I can't assess affect if I can't see your face. Uh, we also have to keep in mind some of the problems with telepsych if we're dealing with the elderly or folks that have hearing impairments. A lot of the communication is by reading lips. You can't do that with a mask on. So there are a lot of things that are being provided to kind of help increase access. I just think folks need to be aware of the difficulty. And a lot of the things that we're communicating, the bulk of our communication is nonverbal. Um, so without having the ability to see someone's face, and I know there's a lot of posts online about this, people making comments, you can't see it, but I'm smiling right now. Well, that's a problem. We can't yeah. do that. In this forum, it's wonderful. I see you beautiful women smiling and giving wonderful information, but 
in real time, we don't have that. And that's a problem. Mm. Yeah. I, you know, it, it, um, something that I've been thinking about, I think I read it in American Medical Association, not even having to do with this podcast at all. I have a client in the addiction recovery space and I've been mired with doing so much research in that <laughs> it's crazy the last six weeks. But one thing that's kind of a question that I have for the panel that struck me is just what you were talking about was um, this lack of the ability to go to group therapy and group counseling. And, you know, what do you say to the person? What would each of you say to a person right now who is, you know, maybe they're on multiple um, psychiatric medications and they don't have the ability to follow up with their psychiatrist or their group therapist? What do you say to them? Because I think that's really, but we're getting to the heart of the matter here. So what do you say to them? How do you help them? Deb, since you're on the camera, I'm just going to go right to you. Okay, great. <laughs> um, you know, it, what I'm seeing, and I know that a lot of people are experiencing this, and even a lot of mental health clinicians are struggling themselves because everyone is. That's one thing. This is kind of a universal struggle right now. Um, get on the phone. Stay on the phone. Again, it's about connecting and continuing to connect. The reality is, is you're not going to be able to access those traditional services that were out there. Um, at least not in my area. You can't go to a day program. You're not having a face-to-face -face appointment. I do know that a lot of therapists are doing sessions via Zoom, you know, via FaceTime, if you will. But, you know, when all else fails, get on the telephone. You can't go to a program that you can call. And I know we we're going to share some resources, but there are resources out there. There are hotline numbers you can call. A lot of organizations are now doing screaming, stream, not screaming, streaming <laughs> groups for people because of what's going on. So there are a lot of resources out there for the virtual support, but I don't, I don't want to take away from the impact of not having the physical and what that, you know, what that impact is on us. But yes, there are things you can do. But again, you can go old school and just pick up the telephone and call someone. Yeah. yeah. Just one other question I'm going to ask to you and then I'm going to ask to the others as well. What advice do you have for the mental health counselors right now who are unable to continue their practice in that way? Is, does it change the way that you, besides the obvious physical and virtual, but I think... I guess my question is, it changed the way that you communicate with the patients or do you have anything to say to the people that are out there, they're in the field, anything that you could say to them? You know, it, it, it changes things. I know a lot of people, uh, and again, not to get into like the legality of it, but a lot of people are concerned about, um, you know, just the liability of seeing someone or just speaking to someone on the phone. A lot of clinicians really are not comfortable except with the in-person meetings. Um, again, because there are some deficits there. But I know from my experience, granted, it's not ideal. And yes, we are missing things with virtual communication, but I really think it's the way to go. The problem becomes, and again, this isn't the clinician's problem. Uh, it becomes the clinician's problem. There are some patients that don't have access to iPhones, that don't have the access to the technology or aren't mm -hmm. comfortable using the technology. 
Um, so we're, we're having to learn new ways of doing things. So I don't have the answer yet. I don't know what that's going to be. I think, you know, it, it feels like it's been forever, but in the grand scheme of things, it hasn't been that long that we've been dealing with this. And I think things are going to come up and we're going to have these struggles. We're going to have to figure out a new way of doing business. And one final thing that I want to say on that is, um, one of the things that I see is becoming very, very big in the coming months, and this is very unfortunate, and we recently lost uh, a psychiatrist at the hospital to COVID-19, and we're seeing a lot more of that. So I think moving forward, one of the issues that I anticipate dealing with in my work is how are we helping individuals mourn the loss of the person who gave them their primary mental health support? So I just wanted to throw that out there, something that is going to be in the coming months, because a lot of psychiatrists are still seeing their patients um, and they are putting themselves at risk. So then who do you talk to about the loss of your psychiatrist? That's a tough question. Janice, do you have anything you want to add on, on this? On this? Um, yeah, I just, I'll mention that uh, the department, we are in contact with our contracted mental health care providers, and, you know, we're trying to update them and provide them information and support, and, and we release and distribute guidance on how to provide care for those individuals who you're not able to continue to get, engage in um, as pre-COVID, uh, uh, and um, so these guidance materials are to help them to figure out which services are essential and must be continued and which mm -hmm. services we can sort of back burner for now, uh, how to implement telephonic or video and audio services where possible, and a variety of other types of guidance materials. So that's up on our website. Granted, it's every day a new question comes to, to four, you know. Yeah. The question you just asked, how do you help an individual who lost their psychiatrist? That's a really big question and it's one that I don't I believe we haven't attended to that at this moment but like you said this is evolving it's evolving and I think the best thing we can do is to keep eyes ears open so that we can understand what's going on on the ground and figure out what might be some promising or best practices or ways that we can be flexible to provide the services that need to continue to be provided. In the first place, I think what we've tried to do is, to, as I said, try to segregate essential versus not essential, hear what's going on, and then distribute, have conversations with, with those who know better in terms of what, what would be an appropriate approach and push those guidance materials out to the providers ongoingly. Mm. Janice, can you talk about, I just wanna jump in, thank you. I just wanna jump into the next, next question. I have a few more questions and we still have to get to the audience questions. So from, from your standpoint, um, what are some of the resources, websites, you, know, you mentioned phone numbers for people in New York City to contact? Is it, is it by borough? Is there a general number, general websites that you can point people to? Whether they are struggling and feeling isolated, um, and you know, God forbid, contemplating suicide in any way, um, or or and or um, family members that want to help someone. Can you point to any specific, you know, websites, phone numbers that they could contact? Are you sure. Uh, okay. 
they are a nonprofit organization. They have support available in like, I think 50 languages. So um, again, it's a support that people can access um, that um, no matter where they are and, um, and in their language. And then the last one, I was just looking it up here, um, Jewel the singer, um, I mentioned her before we came online. She runs an organization called Never Broken. And if you go to neverbroken.com um, and sign up, and I know not everyone has this access, but if people do have the access and want the resources, she has like literally hundreds of resources on there and uh, for to connect people with people. So those are three that Fantastic. I would share. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much. You're yeah. welcome. So you'll have to, we'll put those in the show notes. Thank you so much. That's, that's amazing. You know, um, it, the more and more that people that, that can help do help is extremely important. So I appreciate that. Deborah, uh, any resources you want to share? Um, just to echo my colleagues, the, the National Suicide Helpline is just outstanding. Um, that's the 800-273-TALK number. But also, um, and I've referenced this before, there are some organizations that are doing virtual support groups. I know that yes. NAMI Metro uh, in New York City does provide now uh, virtual support groups. So it's definitely a great resource for folks that are either struggling themselves or have family members that are struggling. And I do know they offer, you know, a lot of online services and virtual services. So that would be the NAMI New York City Metro. Um, okay, I'll have to get that resources. Yeah. Okay, great. Um, so we have a couple more questions left and then we're gonna go into audience Q&A. Um, so I guess, you know, two more questions. One is, and, and Jen brought this up, but I'd like to, I mean, I'm in New York, and so I'd like to understand this. For those, those people that are out there right now that aren't working and they're looking to do something, how can they help? Like, is, are there, Janice, any, any ways to volunteer in the New York City area, and Deborah in the New Jersey area, you know, and Jen in, in your area? So Janice, can you talk a little bit about any ways that we can help um, besides doing, you know, podcasts and giving information, any ways that we yep. can help? that may be at risk, you know, and that's important. Absolutely, absolutely. And to Jen's point about activating in the community, yes, this is something that a lot of folks would want to be able to contribute and to use themselves in a way to be helpful. Uh, www.nyc.gov backslash help now. This is where we can sign up to volunteer for all listeners who are interested. And of course, I will make, send that to you as well, Jasmine. Thank you. That's fantastic. Okay, Jen, any, uh, I know that you mentioned, do you have a, you, in your local area, do you have a website um, that you could point to? Well, I would, I would, I would direct this to anyone in Canada to, um, uh, sorry, contact their local municipal office. So, um, you know, in London, where I live, it would be london.ca. Uh, and through London City, I know on their London portal, they have resources that are listed there. And also Pillar Not For Profit is across Canada. And they are, as I see it, really um, pioneering um, community programs and access for our most vulnerable and setting up, I'm part of one that's called the Incubator Hub. And we have people um, doing things around food security, um, uh, around mental health and wellness, um, exercise and movement, all sorts mm. of 
great things. So Pillar Nonprofit is one that I, I can see as being, like I said, pioneering, sort of leading the pack in this capacity. So thank you. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. Uh, Deborah, anything that you can see in, you know, your local area in terms of volunteering or support? I, sure. You know, for folks that want to help, you know, it, it really is wonderful. There are a lot of people out there that want to help, but I, I can't say this strongly enough. The best way to help, though, is please just stay home. Um, if you want to provide something, I know the hospitals, we have shortages of PPE. Um, if you're in, the, uh, you have the ability to donate masks, um, that would be greatly appreciated. Um, folks that have the funds available can do it. Contact your local hospitals, nursing homes, facilities. They're in desperate need also of iPads because of the reliance now on that type of virtual communication. That would be greatly appreciated. And and you can never go wrong with food. Bringing healthcare <laughs> providers food does help. So if, and if you want to really have it come from the heart, bake the cookies yourself. Trust me, they will be eaten. They will be appreciated. <laughs> yeah, so I want, I want to reiterate what Deborah said because I think it's very important. Again, you know, most of my friends are in healthcare. Mass, very important. I, I love seeing in my Warrior Women in Business group and organization, all these like really smart, creative women sewing masks and coming up with things. It's awesome. So continue to do it. Baking cookies, not me, but the bakers out there, you know, um, I do think that we need, we definitely need to help. Um, I see that my friends are working, overworking. They're working too hard. They have to go home and help their families right after they're working like 13 hours. So please do, you know, I love that you said that, Deborah. I think that really helps to build that community strength. So I'm gonna go right into the Facebook Live questions. I'm gonna read them, and then I'll go around the, the panel here and see if anybody has um, something they wanna add. So Molly asked, uh, what should I do if I'm worried about a family member that is living alone and I can't go physically um, to see them because of isolation rules? This is a great question. So uh, Deborah, since you're on camera. Yeah, uh, that, would, that would be a, a perfect example of calling the local police department to do a welfare check. Mm. Police are essential personnel. They go out all the time. I know when, you know, it, when, I don't know the, where this question is coming from. Is it someone that has a psychiatric history, has issues like that? Because if that's the case, there are often mobile crisis numbers and folks that go out in the community. But I can say with all certainty, everywhere I've lived, you know, in the tri-state area, you can always call the police to do a welfare check. That's completely appropriate. Okay, fantastic. Um, Janice, do you have anything to add on that? Yeah, I mean, actually, I agree. I mean, if, if for some reason you're not able to call that person yourself and, and get a response, then yes, we would want to make sure that they're actually okay. Okay. Jen, anything in your area is it similar? Yeah, I think we would do, we would handle it in the same way. Um, we also have some community groups that um, are sort of at the street level that, um, uh, what are they called? The un, the un, unnamed? Yeah, the unnamed that uh, will do things like that. Um, and they're working around uh, people that are really high risk uh, people mm -hmm. and they, you know, they, they go out, that's what they do. But again, we are in a different time now, right? So 
yeah. um, keeping yourself safe and um, making sure um, I would, I, I would probably agree with just what um, Deborah and Jana said, you know, um, that's what our police services are there for to, to support um, in that way. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that the police also need some fresh cookies <laughs> and masks. <laughs> Let's not forget about them. No, I mean, they're tied into what you ladies are doing. And I think they're equally important, um, just not on topic, but just quickly, um, something that came out yesterday, you know, more and more MTA workers are dying. It's, and, and they need the support just as much as the police, any, any um, city, and I'm sure Janice would agree, um, anyone in the city who's helping out, they also need our support. So I know a lot of people are, feel like they're sitting around and isolated, but I think to Janice's point, there's lots of ways that we can volunteer and help, right? Okay, so and, and another, you know, another thing, just to, just to yes. push this out, remember there's a chair for healthcare workers. We can make that broader at 7 p.m. Chair, chair for oh. our, our. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah. Yes, at 7 o'clock, it's, it's like we're having Mardi Gras. I used to live in New Orleans every day at 7. <laughs> and yes, you can cheer. And, you know, it's, where I'm living now, it's like the pots and pans, and people are going crazy with the flags outside the windows. And what I personally love about it is it's like a wake up call that, hey, you're not isolated. You know, so I agree. Exactly. Seven o'clock. Um, okay, a couple other questions. Uh, Debbie asked, what can I do to spread awareness? What can one person do to spread awareness? Anything you want to say on that, Janice? One person, let's say. Um, you know, we live in a world where. I told two friends and she told two friends and so on and so on and so on. If you are connected to social media, spread the word, use that power. Anything mm -hmm. we put in social media is going to multiply. You can connect folks to some of the, the resources that myself and my colleagues have just spoken to. Put the word out there. You can make a phone call and make it a challenge. I'm going to call you and you've got to call, pass it on. You know, push it forward. Create a way to start a chain of conversation. I love it. Super important. Super important. And I also find a lot of folks, um, there's this Facebook group that I get involved with. It's hilarious. It's um, this virtual happy hour. And, it's, and one of the rules of that group is you can't say anything negative about COVID. So it's, it's fun and it's very light. <laughs> and people love it. And I think that's it. It's about connecting with other people. So, uh, Jen, do you have anything to say on, on um, Debbie's question about how, to sh how do you spread awareness? I think really, um, you know, I think about people's words. And so our words and our, our words carry energy. And so, and then our, our words become our thoughts and our beliefs and then our behavior. So whatever you're putting out there, um, yeah, choose, choose it wisely or they'll choose you. So if you want to impact and have a positive message, um, I would, you know, echo what Janice said, um, uh, create those opportunities, use your social media, pick up the phone and don't make it around negativity. Um, you know, like your happy hour, um, have conversations about uplifting topics, um, about something else. Um, that is going to, you know, talk about good memories, about remember the time when, reminisce about um, great times and, uh, and shut the, the TVs off, right? And all that media. So I think that's how you can make an impact is through the words and the decisions that you make, the choices that you make and how you, you um, I guess, show up, right? Yeah, how you show up. 
Deborah, have you have anything to say on this, you know, one person making a difference? One per you know, a, a lot of it I think has to do, and Jen was referencing words and the power of words. I think a lot of making a difference, again, it can be on, on a very much a micro level. It's about just reframing. Um, it, it's, it, it's finding that, that, that one positive thing that you encountered during the day, even if it's something very, very silly, um, that's okay, but it's about reframing the situation. And just as words are powerful, we also, I think, have more power than we realize when it comes to um, how our thoughts can color our emotions. So I really think language is vital there. What we say out loud, what we say to ourselves, what we say to our spouses, we internalize that and then it perpetuates and self-perpetuates. Emotions tend to do that. So making a difference, just reframing the situation, distract for a little bit. Even if it's something just like, like Jen, you referenced cleaning and organizing, clean out that utility closet, it will help. And, and then you can share that experience with someone else. And then they yeah. can share it with someone else after that. Very, very yeah. basic. Move a muscle, change a thought. Move a muscle, change. Well, I, I agree with you. I think um, the whole point about, you know, we, you were talking about Jen, when you wake up in the morning, and I think that sets the tone when you wake up in the morning, how you think, especially double that with what uh, Deborah was talking about. If you're in a confi confined space or you're isolated, your thoughts are really going to rescue you, make you feel good. And if you're spreading that message, then you become someone that's connected. So I think these are all really good points. Um, I have another question here. I'm a survivor of suicide. Um, all the information is very important. So, well, that's fantastic. Um, I think that um, that's what we're here to do. And, you know, I applaud the three of you for sharing so much great information today. It's really, really going to help um, people. And it, this episode is not just directed to people that, you know, thank God that you have gone, that you are alive and hopefully thriving, prospering and connecting with other people. But it's also for people um, out there that maybe aren't aware of this issue because you might be able to say, help someone else and save someone else's life. So um, just checking, that's all the questions that we have. Uh, so I wanna thank everyone. I would like to thank Janice so much from the city for, for being on and taking the time out. Um, <clears throat> thank you, Jen, for coming from Canada with your wonderfully colorful background. And also <laughs> just for your, you know, I, um, as I mentioned, you know, I take trips to Canada all the time. I'm a hockey player and, and a musician. so. I love Canada and I'm really glad you came on because this issue isn't just here in New York City. We need support everywhere. Someone in New York might have a relative up there or vice versa. So hopefully this has helped. I want to thank you so much for being on. And Deborah, as usual, I want to thank you for being on and sharing all your tactical advice and helping. Um, I guess I just want to um, have each of you again, you know, <clears throat> what contact information can you provide to anyone in the audience that might want to get in touch with you? Personally, I'll start with you, Jen. You're on the camera, so sure. Um, they can reach out to me at uh, jenhewson.com. That's J-E-N-H-E-W-S-O-N.com. And um, from there, just, uh, you know, find a way, just go to the contact and it'll be me personally that uh, reaches out, so. Thank you. Uh, Deborah? Uh, yes, I can be reached at Deborah at debramax.com. Very, very easy as well. Okay, perfect. Uh, Janice? 
And I want to take the opportunity to promote New York City well once again. Um, 888-692-9355 is the best way to reach out to New York City well, but you can also reach by text if you text well to 65173 or the chat newyorkcity.gov slash NYC well. NYC.gov slash NYC well, correct? Correct. Okay, perfect. All right, so um, before we all jump off, I want to thank you all. I want to thank our audience. I want to thank whomever asked the questions. Um, again, just a bit about Warrior Women in Business. Warrior Women in Business is a member organization. It's a movement, and it's really intended to help women grow and prosper in business, but also grow and prosper on the inside. And that's why this is so important. And the last three episodes that I've run are really intended to help in any way that's possible. Women, families, relationships, we're all in this together. Um, everybody does need to know that. And we'll continue to have our uh, online podcast for as long as we need to through COVID and our virtual events as, le as long as we need to. We're here for you. So please check in on Warrior Women in Business on Facebook from time to time. Uh, any questions that you have, anyone that's out there that says, hey, I have a topic I want to talk to you about. Please reach out to us. So again, I want to thank everyone. And we are signing off from episode 23, Warrior Women in Business.